Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing very well, Jody. I'm kind of excited here to get to talk to my one of my bestest buddies here Thank about it. some nerd shit for a bit. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always a good time. I'm good. How are you? I'm still alive and kicking, so this is a good sign. Nice. Yeah. I, I like it. Hey, you got anything on the talk back this week before we dive in? Or I good? do not. I, well, you know what? I'm going to take that back, eat my tongue, and I'm going to say this. How often do people worry about the credits that they get for the stuff that they create? That's a good point. Probably not enough. Yes. Or sometimes maybe too much, but yeah. <laughs> there is that. There is a company that's been around for a while and it's undergoing several name changes. And initially when I picked up on it, it was called Soundways. And they created this plugin called RINM, R-I-N-M. And what it was intended to do was to give the people that created something on a particular track, session, what have you, in regards to music, because it was a plugin that you could stick in your DAW and you would send it along with any session that you gave or if you were the one place that everything was being done, you could add people's name and their role into the plugin along with something called an ISNI number. You probably want to go get one of these things. And it's since evolved from Soundway into SoundCredit, which now creates this plugin that's was like RinM, but now called TrackSheet Plus, and it costs money, and the RinM thing was free. I'm not sure how many people use this. I don't use TrackSheet Plus. I downloaded it to check it out, and then it was like, why am I paying for this? <laughs> I'm keeping track of most of the information anyway. And you, on the other hand, have just passed along something to me that also allows you to tag your files. And it's like, okay, that's free too. How good is all of this stuff? That's a question because obviously getting into the era now where everything goes everywhere and people love to take credit for things that they didn't do. And now we've got stuff like AI coming up. How do you retain control over the things that you actually came up with for yourself? What do you think? Yeah, really important questions. All these ideas, I think they're trying to find a solution to stuff. I can't help but think when you're describing that, it's like, well, where does all that information ultimately end up because it has to get registered somewhere. Right. It can't just reside in said plugin. So it needs to land at some point. I think it's an interesting thing. I think that's why Soundways went to SoundCredit and became TrackSheet Plus because I think that's why they're paying for it. You can actually, I believe, and I haven't done this, you can actually upload the information once the session and everything is mastered, finished, done. Uh, and and I think that to, goes into some sort of database. And I don't know if it goes to the MLC. For like PROs? Or, yeah, or, or, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that. I haven't okay. read up on it in a while. I was keeping track of it for myself and for my own well-being, mental state, I guess, thinking that it would matter. And I still haven't found a need for it yet. But that being said, if you're really into that, maybe TrackSheet Plus is where you want to start looking. However, they have started to move somewhere else with this from sound credit, <laughs> which makes okay. it even more confusing. It's ridiculous in that regard because if you keep changing it, the people that are trying to get into it – Yeah, I you're am, not going to adopt it. Right. right. If it, if and here's changed. where things have changed because sound credit now is doing something new called TrackChat – and what it is, is as you're adding pieces and maybe collaborating with people, it's a new portal. Obviously, you have to pay for it. 
And everywhere somebody puts something in, you add a new version of the track onto this portal and it becomes its own little streaming entity for private purposes. So there you go. Sounds really convoluted. It gets a little convoluted and I'm not sure how well this is going to take off. I would like to check it out. But at that point, there really needs to be a strong database of the original creator information, regardless of whether it's AI or humanoid type stuff. So what you're saying now is that with this one, it would be even if you take an existing piece of music and you you do something, let's say that you do a remix, that type of thing, to, to tag your name onto there? or I'm not sure. I haven't yeah. used it yet. Right. Interesting point without digging in too deep here because I think I was sort of like only half joking was saying that people either care too much or not enough mm-hmm. because I think a lot of artists starting out they don't necessarily consider these things. They don't. Right? And then you get fortunate enough to get a, a track placed in a movie or something. And if you're not tagged in there with your proper credits, you're not getting paid. There is so. that. And outside the U.S., and I think there's maybe one or two other countries at this point, and Sound Exchange is trying to change this in terms of performance royalties. Every performer on a recording gets some little piece of a performance royalty If you're not properly credited, you don't get that royalty. And if a track suddenly takes off and becomes ridiculously huge, you want that proper credit because it's a lifetime of additional money that comes at you. might only buy you a coffee now and then, but it's still additional money that can buy you that coffee. Right. Yeah, everything adds up and you want to... Proper crediting, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. So now that we've bummed everybody out with all that. (laughs) Let's bum them out some more with some sample library shit. Yeah, so we're going on on our uh, adventure here with possibly boring, but what we consider very important ways of nerding out in managing your data. And today we're talking about managing sample libraries. Mm Mm-hmm. Should you have them on your internal drive? Should you have them on external drives? What's the pros and cons for all of this? So before we dive in real deep here, let me ask you first, mm-hmm. already knowing the answer. <laughs> but are you external drive guy or internal drive External guy? drive guy. Right? Yep. Yeah. See, and see, you are the same. I am the same and we'll elaborate a little bit la- later. To you, what's the benefit of keeping your sample libraries on external drives? Moving from system to system without having to reinstall it every fucking time. Yeah. You do that a few times and then it's like- You realize this is a waste of my time. Let me just have one drive. (laughs) It's going to be a better way, right? There is a better way. Yeah. And of course, another huge benefit is storage. Yeah, of course, because some of these sample libraries, they balloon up in size because big, big, big realism and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And there are even companies, I know Spitfire do this, Spitfire Audio. You have the option of when you buy a library, you actually can get it on a separate drive already. Right. So you just get the drive as opposed to downloading who knows how many gigabytes? You know We're what? Just as, yeah, I'm curious about. Yeah, go ahead. They usually, well, maybe it's just further off into the the ether of the episode. When they send it to you, is it on a USB drive? Is it on a little stick? What's it on? I'm not sure, but I'm willing to bet at this point that it's it's a workable drive where it's like a valid option. It's probably mm-hmm. an SSD drive. Okay. Whatever. But I'm I'm guessing that's a moving target. Yeah. You know whether it would have been like a USB or. 
uh, hopefully it's not a fire wire at this point, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. That would be it, bad. It, it, right, yeah. So when it comes to file sizes here, I'm a big tune track user, right? So I, mm -hmm. I use Superior Drummer, in this case, 3. And with 3, they added a whole bunch of, like, ambient mics. I haven't even installed all of them because I don't foresee myself using them. Surround mics and all this kind of stuff. And that balloons You paid for something you're not even using? Shame on you. <laughs> well, no, I don't look at it that way. But if I installed all of it, it's about 400 gigs. That's a separate drive in and of itself right there. Yeah, more on that later. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the main library in itself is is large. It's about three, I think, just south of 300 gigabytes. You guess. And yes, and that, that's what I have, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I never bothered with all the additional surround mics because I didn't foresee myself using them. I'm sure they sound glorious. Right. But the point here is that sample libraries, they balloon and... And if what's another benefit for having a separate sample drive? Besides what you also mentioned, right, the, the update, but it's also internal drive fill up pretty quickly here. Right? Depending so, on how big it is, sure. The new Mac right. Studio can go up to 8 terabytes. That's pretty huge. Yeah, but we all know that most people don't buy that with a full 8 terabyte drive. You and I had talks personally, and you were confiding what you would go with. And yeah, what I certainly now, wouldn't right? go that huge on an internal drive. <laughs> right. So, but even if you do system drive, which would be not massive, but relatively large at like one terabyte. Mm -hmm. Okay. So install all of TuneTrack Superior Drummer on that. And that's half, half the drive is gone already. Right? You know, there. that's a huge one. Also, as we've established prior here that I'm also pretty anal retentive. Mm. <laughs> so I like have things being on, on a separate drive. Much of what we're about to talk about goes along with the same idea where both you and I treat all the projects mm -hmm. that we're recording on a separate drive, yep. right? So you have a live sort of drive for projects and everything. All of those benefits we've discussed in the past, but for the, a lot of the times the same reasons for, for this. Yep. It might sound obvious to people that have been doing this for a while, for somebody who might be listening who are just starting out, they wonder that, well, should I just record my internal drive or should I, do I need an external drive? To me- There was short... once upon a time that that was a yeah. bad idea. Today, it's yeah. probably not the same bad idea. However, it really does come down to space and whether or not you have it for things that are just going to be laying around for probably 90% of the time. Right. That's another- huge thing for me, obviously, to keep everything on an external drive. Mm -hmm. One thing that could potentially be an issue, and I think this is a little bit less today because we, we tend to not have spinning drives mm -hmm. anymore. You could argue that it's a little bit more taxing on the internal drive to have all your projects and stuff living on there. Now, I say that with a little bit of hesitation because today with SSDs, I, I don't think it's well, it's not quite the As same. A, You're not right. taxing the internal drive by having it go back and forth with a read head. SSDs right. don't have that. Yeah. That was the so, primary reason why you wouldn't keep sample libraries on your internal drive and record to your internal drive because the system's using it at the time with the spinning hardware. When it's not a spinning hardware, that issue goes away. So part of what we're saying has a lot to do with organization to how we operate based off of the latter <laughs> of where we learned. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, and I mean, you you lose enough internal drives when they you know stop functioning, and you get pretty pissed off about that, and you start thinking about how to do things differently. Yeah, right? and so, of course, you want to make sure you back that stuff up. Even if you're yes. using a separate sample drive, you're going to back it up. Yeah. So what's a negative to all of this? Well, you need more drives, right? It's mm -hmm. always the cost thing. So again, if somebody is just starting out and they've got their system set up and they've had to buy an interface and they've had to buy monitors and it's not an insignificant investment. And now it's just something more on top mm -hmm. of that, yep. right? You need that. And of course, once you have more drives, you need more connectivity to your machine, regardless of whether it is a laptop or not. Yeah. There's a lot of good hubs out there, and they're faster now than they used to be. Because that, that was also a potential bottleneck. Yep. Right? Because mm -hmm. you're coming in and out, possibly at the same port. And uh, if you have multiple drives, you might just have room for one to go straight into your system, right? Let's say mm -hmm. you're on a laptop or whatever. So you need that. Another thing that I could think of is you have a laptop and you tend to go on the go a lot. Yep. You do location stuff. Sometimes it's really convenient to have everything on the internal because you don't need to drag a whole bunch of hard drives you know, with you. Hard drives, possibly docks, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I, I would say those would be some of like the negatives. Well, there's um, one other thing that we've kind of hinted at, and that is drive speed can be an issue. It's less so today if you're buying an SSD. It was very much a consideration in the days of hard drives that actually were platters that spun. Yeah, spinning and drives. The yeah. spinning drives came in different speeds, and some of them were very slow, some of them were reasonably fast, and then others were extremely stupid fast. That is less of an issue today with the SSDs and the fact that they can move a lot more audio file information than the old spinning drives ever could. Yeah. A little bit less of that issue, I would say, still today as we're talking about the speed of the drives, the connectivity mm -hmm. that you would use to connect to if it's a hub or straight to your, your system. Transfer speeds today are so fast. Generally right? speaking, yeah. yes. Right. So if you're dealing with, now on the Mac front, we're dealing with Thunderbolt. I would say even Thunderbolt 2 is plenty fast. But we're I will up to go one. even one lower. I have an enclosure that I record to externally with an mm -hmm. SSD inside an enclosure that is USB 3. Not even C, just USB 3. Not Thunderbolt, but USB 3. And it is plenty fast to do even 192 recording. We used to have just a USB 1 right, protocol. Yeah, USB a little a, bit slower. <laughs> Firewire. Right. Those right. things had but bottlenecks. Right. But even it was doable at that point, right? Mm -hmm. the, the point is that right now with the protocols that we have, it's really, really fast and it need not be a concern. Again, their price comes in, right? So get the most expensive that you can afford. Chances are today that that's not going to be your bottleneck. It's probably not going to be a bottleneck at all. It's probably your system, if anything, is going to be slowing you down, I would say. And speaking of bottlenecks that you should get into, let's have a word from our sponsors. All right, hopefully you got some really awesome information from those people. Let's move on to what we're talking about next with sample libraries, and that is how we go about setting this shit up. Well, first thing, if you're considering a drive, you're 
decided you go on external, which you should, in our opinion, <laughs> is to get as large a drive as you can afford. Solid-state drives are great. I don't think they're all created equal, but the idea of solid-state is much better than a spinning drive. With that comes a cost. The type get of solid-state drive also is going to determine a factor. And I just want to throw in there, because you're going to talk about something that is usually connected via a USB-type thing, whether it's USB-C or Thunderbolt in this day and age. However, the reason why a lot of guys were waiting around for the Mac Pros to come out with the M2 chip is because they work on a different system that's a little bit higher speed than anything you're going to get with Thunderbolt or USB-C called blade drives and they connect via PCIe cards and that's way more pricey but also your speed goes through the roof if yeah. you're really talking oh. bottlenecks and tons and tons of orchestral libraries and all kinds of things those are usually meant for dudes that are doing gigantic orchestrations yeah unless you're working and you're in charge of Skywalker sound it's probably something <laughs> that you don't necessarily need to worry about right but we should mention it because that is always a absolutely consideration. it's a real thing yeah, yeah definitely and if you got unlimited budget fill your boots man go for uh, it for sure considering drives i would say not to go anything less than a terabyte because you know, when you're buying a drive, it's going to fill up fast, mm -hmm. right? Especially the, with today's sample rates where most guys or a lot of businesses are, are doing samples beyond 44.1. Sometimes I would be willing to bet TuneTrack, and you will know this, sample at 96K is my guess. And those samples yeah. are much larger. There's like three and a half times larger, I think, when you do that. Yeah. And although I think there might be some proprietary compression going on there, it's still going to be large enough files. It eats up quickly. Two terabyte is better than one. Two terabyte is also a lot more expensive than one, right? Yes. So even though prices are coming down, well, let's, consider let's, that. Let's think about this for a second because price yeah. of drives is like just insane. Now, a blade drive is going to be an astronomical cost by consideration compared to just an external SSD that you can buy that will connect via USB or Thunderbolt. That being said, one of the first hard drives that I remember getting back in the day was $700 for a 40 megabyte drive. Ooh, baby. Now, you can get a two terabyte SSD now for maybe 120 bucks, maybe 150. Is that around the right price range for a two terabyte? I think so. so yeah. <laughs> let's be a little bit realistic with the cost factor here. <laughs> yeah. It's a first world problem, of right? Course, it's yes. just a relative one, what we can do. Because at the same time, for the same price, you could get a 12 terabyte spinning drive. Yes, right? and so which it, I do it, have, it, and that's still a couple hundred bucks. But 12 terabytes compared to 40 megs, woo, big. Anyway, how big is your sample drive? Well, I have several. You have more than one. <laughs> let's get nice. Yeah. Okay. My, my, well, my main one is one terabyte. One terabyte, okay. That's too small for me at this point yep, because, yeah, some of my libraries are forced to currently reside on my, my system drive. Am I happy about Gross. it? Yeah. Nope. Gross. I know. It makes me feel a little dirty. Mm -hmm. I will be adding additional drives right. to do that. Right now it works, but I'm not happy about it, hence this episode. What about you? How big are yours? Mine, I have one. And mine is two what? terabytes, and I've used over a terabyte of it. Mm -hmm. I have the ability to fill it beyond two terabytes. I just haven't well, done I'm that. Oh, I'm sure. 
And the main reason why is, is most of the stuff that I have the capacity to download and install, I generally don't use. So I'm not going to start filling it with tons of things that I don't have. I do have a 12 terabyte RAID system that has backups of every sample I've ever had. And when I did build the two terabyte drive, I ended up removing some of the things that were old and unneeded or just yeah. outdated, but I kept them on a archive for the strict purpose. If I open up a very old session, I need to be able to open those. And generally speaking, those older samples are fast enough, even off of a spinning 12 terabyte drive raid that I can open them and play them back, which is fine for now. Or if I really have to, I could pull them off of the RAID backup and put them onto the sample drive for the temporary time that I would need them and then put them back. When you set this up for your sample library, you need to make sure you formatted it properly. Yeah. Now, for that, Mac the guys, there's a couple of choices. We're not really going to cover the Windows thing, mainly because I'm not sure there's a whole lot of different file types on the Windows side of things. I'm not sure either, but one thing to keep in mind here, if you are on the on the Mac side, is that depending on the manufacturer, when you get your drive, mm -hmm. it will be formatted for Windows. a Windows system. Yes. And then you can run into all sorts of, of issues there. Mac is a little bit friendlier reading Windows systems, but on the other way around, it's- Not so friendly it's writing a, that stuff. It's, it's a no bueno, yeah. yeah. What are the systems that we should look for on the Mac side? Well, prior to this transition that Apple did into their M chips, the idea of Mac OS extended journaled was your general choice. Now there's a new system, APFS. And if yeah. you're building a brand new system with Ventura or Sonoma coming out, or even with Monterey at this point, you want to probably go with APFS. Yeah, I'm not clear on the actual benefits or pros and cons from either system, but I know that my system drive came formatted as APFS. Mm. So that's what that is. I have most of my external drives are extended journaled and still working fine, but I do think there's probably something in the math of how the drive operates. Like you said, that might be more of an issue if you're dealing with the newer chipsets. I'm still on an Intel Mac. I haven't noticed any difference, but you definitely want to make sure that it's formatted for one of those systems when you're setting up a sample drive. Right. Now, diving into that, that if we've, you've now formatted your drive. Let's dive into how you're managing the installation. What do you do? It could be a few things, obviously. What I tend to do is if I've dedicated my drive as a sample drive, I will create a folder on there for under the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So I will name that folder to whatever, let's say Heaviosity, mm -hmm. right? And then during installation, you can often choose where you want the samples to be installed. Now th that's an additional setting that you'll have to do. The default is generally just to the shared folder on, on the system drive, yep. right? Under the users that gets built up pretty quickly. So yeah, so I, I specify drive, I create a folder, name it accordingly and choose that during installation and all the files will be placed there. Mm -hmm. That to me is the ideal way of doing it. If you have started your journey on the internal drive, some applications 
and instruments will allow you to move the samples or choose another directory for them, basically. So you, it's possible to just move them, physically move the files over to your new drive, mm-hmm. erase them from the old one, and then point the directory to the new folder. That's always a scary thing to do, the one when you hit delete <laughs> and you're actually deleting right. everything. That's generally how I do it. Yep. There's also a thing that we could do using alias folders and things, if, if you're familiar with us. So maybe you can describe how we kind of do that. I think that's actually something that needs to be put out to pasture. And I don't think a lot of companies really rely on it anymore. That's way more of like a prior to OS Catalina type of thing that you would do. And maybe it's not a great thing to go through, but what it means is that you would create an alias of wherever the library was previously installed. You move it to the new location, create the alias, and drag it back to where it was previously installed. The problem with that is is that Apple's OS now, and we're talking specifically Apple, you probably can still do something similar on the Windows machines, is that those will break. And it won't see it because it's not the hard link that it's expecting. There was another way to get around that by using something called a SIM link, S-Y-M. And there was an application that allowed you to make those. But even those now in Big Sur and Monterey and probably going forward in Ventura, don't use those anymore. It doesn't work. It still breaks. And certain applications won't see that location regardless because of the fact that it's not physically where it thinks it should be. It's gotten a hell of a lot better since then, and that's a good thing. So generally speaking, you store your samples how? On my sample drive, I have a separate sample drive that is a Thunderbolt SSD, Mm -hmm. one terabyte. And I have, like I hinted out there, a folder for each manufacturer. Right. And that's just how I like to organize stuff. You don't have to do that. You could just have folder upon folder. But... I like to organize them that way. And then inside said folder would be for each instrument sure. that is there. Yeah. Right. So, for example, like I mentioned Heaviosity. Inside there, there would be a folder for Novo and there would be one for Gravity, et cetera. And that's how I kind of keep track of, of all that. I said that I have multiple, and that is because the company that I mentioned at the top, <laughs> uh, ToonTrack. Mm-hmm. With my superior drummer installation, I have actually another SSD drive that is just called TuneTrack, and that's where all my TuneTrack stuff lives. And it was simply just to make a little bit temporary room on my main sample drive because Mm -hmm. I was at capacity, man. And I was like, ugh. You get it. I I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So that's how I do it. And when I add a separate drive, I don't think I will merge this one terabyte drive to a larger SSD drive, right. I will probably have it as in addition to. Gotcha. And then, of course, same idea as, as you mentioned. Everything goes into the RAID system just yep. for backup, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So what about you, though? How do you do it? Pretty close to how you do it. I have individual folders that are named as per the manufacturer of the sample library. And then I point that software to use that folder on the sample library drive. Yeah. And then I allow it to install as it sees fit to that location. I don't go quite so far as per instrument because most of these manufacturers will actually do that anyway. Yeah, it would be named like that usually. But again, 
anal retentive. So <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I think that we should touch on real quickly here, and this could almost be an entire episode by itself, Apple Loops. It's really convoluted the way that they are installed. You can move those, which I have done as well for all the third-party Apple Loops that I have created mm-hmm. or downloaded. You told me that you think that in Logic Now, you can actually have that functionality of actually being able to move the Apple Loops that are factory installed on your system. Not even that it's a theory. You can. You check. Okay. It's under Logic. I don't know if it's in GarageBand. Unfortunately, I don't use GarageBand to be able to say this. Under the Logic Pro menu, under Sound Library, there's Relocate Sound Library. When you press on that, it gives you an option to say, where do you want to move the library to? (laughs) And then it will move it. And then it knows every time it installs something new for that, it puts it in the new location where you told it to be. Right. That's good. Mm -hmm. And I think they've updated also now how you create and install third-party libraries with the indexing and all this kind Uh of stuff. The indexing will move stuff as well. Right. So that that used to be a bit of a pain. But anyway, that's my thoughts on on sample libraries. I I always go external because control and for all the reasons that we've just mentioned. All right. And getting over anal retentive vibes, we're going to move on to Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got this week? Somebody turned me on to a piece of software that kind of hints at what you talking about at the uh, top of the episode here. It's when you're releasing music, you usually get assigned an ISRC number Mm -hmm. for that file, right? Generally, the service that when you're releasing or who's releasing it, if it's a label, they will do that. But if you're doing it as an independent artist, it would be through like, I don't know, CD Baby or whoever you're doing it with, right? You will get that. There is a little free utility should you need to add this yourself into your WAV files. There's a company called Sonoris, and it's called ISRC Editor, that you can actually add that yourself. I thought that was pretty neat. I don't have a need to use that right now, but I thought it was a cool little utility Sweet. that you can actually do that yourself. So th- that's my Friday fun this week. What about you? I'm going with something that is free, much like you. This is different, though. This is for those that want to tweak the living shit out of vocals. It is called Grailon 2 by Auburn Sounds. It is an auto-tune-type plugin that allows you to do things manually with a lot of extra little features like bit crushing and extra other little effects. It is specifically meant for you to mess your vocals up or pitch shift them, do what you want to do in there. Grailon 2. That is my choice right there. Woohoo! While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word samples, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that i'll say see you next week thanks for listening all you audio nerds out there have a good one joey